from day one that I had the idea, I was already thinking five years ahead. I was already figuring I would add more shirtwares, I would have more sponsors, you know, do all these things. Um, what I couldn't see in that preparedness of success was all of the stuff that went along with it, the time management, the people management. Um, you know, as you add more clients, there's obviously like a lot more things to juggle, a lot more balls in the air. And so there was just, I couldn't necessarily prepare for that because I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, but like if I created I Wear Your Shirt today, knowing what I know now from that experience, it would be completely different. It would be profitable from day one. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Louder Than Words, where I get the great fortune to hang out with some of the most creative people in business or basically any form of doing work uh, that any of us really uh, ever get to know, right? So um, some of the more interesting entrepreneurs, business people, artists, writers, you name it. Uh, today is is certainly no exception. I know, say, I know I say that a lot, but today really is no exception uh, because we get to hang out with Jason Zook. Um, so he has like a lot of different projects you can check out, right? But go to jasondoesstuff.com and that's where you can kind of, you know, get the 30,000 foot view on who he is and what he stands for. But he is quite possibly the most creative professional making stuff that I've probably had on this podcast. Uh, Jason is the founder uh, of some of you may have heard of I Wear Your Shirt, where um, he you know he was famously known for making you know over a million dollars wearing T-shirts. Uh, he's also auctioned off his last name a few times, and he most recently just sold his future. Um, and that probably sounds really strange to a lot of people. It might sound gimmicky, but trust me, this guy's the real deal. It's not gimmicky. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for coming on Louder Than Words today. How's it going? It's going great. I'm going to bring you with me everywhere I go because that <laughs> intro was fantastic and your words mean the world, my friend. To be one of the most creative people, wow, that's there's a there's a big list of people out there. I think I'm just one of the weirdest people. That's how I kind of <laughs> like to go with it. It's one and the same though, right? It, mean, these days, it absolutely is. So, I mean, it, yeah, I, I, you were most recently on uh, Chris Brogan's uh, hit one of his podcasts and, uh, he had a book, you know, the freaks shall inherit the earth. So, I mean, those, you know, you guys are two guys that know what you're talking about. Right. So, um, so first off, I can't leave people hanging, right? I just told listeners that you recently sold your future and people are probably like, all right, what is this like clickbait type intro? He just gave this guy, he sold his (laughs) future, but you had this really cool project that, uh, I, I believe is closed now called by my future. Um, so I'm not going to do it any justice if I just try to describe what it was. So if you could just quickly describe for people who may not have heard of it, what was By My Future and what sort of inspired that? Yes. So <laughs> clickbait on a podcast is is always interesting, <laughs> right? Um, By My Future was the confluence of years of doing a lot of stuff, putting a lot of things out into the world and realizing that I love creating, I love building, I love solving people's problems through products and services, but I really don't love the game of marketing, selling, funnels, you know, all this stuff. And I'm good at it. I I can do it. But just because we're really good at something doesn't mean that we have to do it. And I think that the time that we live in right now gives us an amazing opportunity to, to realize those things and question them and to say, how can we do something different or unique or or in a way that maybe has been done slightly diff, you know, in, in a different way, but have your own twist on it. And I really look at kind of like all of my projects in that that light and now being able to look back on them. But by my future was basically me saying, I create a lot of stuff. If you're down for the stuff that I create that really at the end of the day helps you take action in your business and life, that's really kind of what everything that I do revolves around. And also make money with your business in an interesting way that feels good to you. Um, you you could basically buy access to me. It, it's basically a lifetime access purchase for $1,000. You never pay me again. And the way that I looked at this was it's giving maximum customer value of what I'll create, right? Just $1,000 and you get everything I've ever created, which is like eight projects, and everything I will ever create for the rest of my life. You will never pay me another dollar for anything. 
And this is business related, like not involving my kids or anything like that. Um, and then for <laughs> me, it's maximum customer lifetime value because, you know, I've, I've looked at my previous projects and, you know, some are priced in like the $500, the $100, or the $200, whatever. And, you know, very rarely, I would say, I think it was like 1,800 total customers that I've had that have paid me for things over the past two years. Maybe, maybe 5% of them had paid me $1,000. So what if I said, what if 100% of people pay me $1,000? And that's what I focus on is selling that opportunity. And so very long-winded answer, that is, that is by my future. And it, it actually came from sitting one day looking at a journal that I had been writing ideas in a year ago. And one page, the only thing that was written on it was, what if I didn't have to sell things anymore? And that was all I wrote on that page. And it just kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning while I was sitting drinking my coffee a year later going, what if I didn't? You know, what if I just sold my future? And so, yeah, I launched by my future. It was open for two weeks and it was the first time I'd ever done it. Um, it was pretty crazy. It was a little ridiculous. A lot of people didn't get it, but there were 165 people who did. And that's kind of what I'm doing now is really focusing on that community. That's great. I was going to say the response was really great for that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, something like that, it, it sounds really cool. So, so let's back up though. For people who may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about like yourself, like where you're from, kind of like what led you to be doing what you're doing right now. Uh, just like let people into like who Jason Zook is. Yeah, this is a, an interesting question for me because I have done so many weird things. But I, I guess the best way to describe it is I grew up with a lot of change in my life. My mom moved around a lot when I was a kid. I had multiple fathers. I went to four different high schools, I think like 14 total different schools. Um, I was always just, I felt different. I always had this feeling within me that I just didn't quite fit in. I think part of that was I got bullied, like a lot of us. Um, so you you have like other people telling you that you're different. And, you know, through moving around a lot, through a lot of different experiences in life, I started to embrace that. And just to say, me being weird or different is actually my superpower. It's the thing that separates me from the rest of the world, and I should embrace this in some way. And so I actually had my first experience with the internet when I was 14. My mom got a gateway computer. If you remember the cow box that like the gigantic oh, yeah, desktop yeah. computer came in, uh, we had one of those, and I loaded up the 13 AOL disks. Uh, floppy disks into it. And that was my first internet experience when I was 14. So that was like 1995. And, you know, from there, I just was kind of hooked. And I ended up going to college for getting a degree in graphic design because my mom really wanted me to go to college. She didn't have a chance to go. And she just was like, you need something to fall back on. This internet thing may not work out. And, you know, looking back then, it's kind of silly. But, you know, in 1995, no one knew if it was going to work out. You know, it really was kind of this crazy place. But I graduated college, took a job, uh, a perfectly fine job working as a graphic designer for a sports agency, and it just was really unfulfilling. The people were fine. The pay was good. I worked like three minutes from where I lived, but I just every day showed up and I was in a cubicle having someone telling me what to do, looking at like the potential corporate ladder to climb, and I hate normal ladders, so it was just, you know, I have to look at a corporate ladder every day. That's even more terrible for me. And I, I picked up a book in 2007 called The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Many people have probably heard of it. Classic book, yep. And it was really the first book, business book, I think I'd ever read. Like the, the book that I read page, like front to back before that, was probably James and the Giant Peach when I was like eight years old. And that's not, that's <laughs> literally not like a throwaway joke. I think that's the truth. I just hated reading. That's another but classic I, though. So. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but I got just so fed up with what I was doing in that that nine to five world. And I read this book and it like three pages in basically brought all of the feelings that I had when I was growing up of being different, being weird, feeling like I just didn't fit in and that being okay and gave me permission to say, I think it's time to embrace this. And it's not time to sit here and do what society tells me I should do and what everything feels comfortable and you know have a secure job. And I need to do more with my life. And so that was the the kind of the moment for me where I said enough is enough and I like set a 6 month plan I worked nights to, with a friend of mine to start our own design company where we could just work for ourselves and and do freelance design and then that worked out I put in my 2 weeks notice after 6 months had a design agency for a year and a half that got up to a quarter of a million dollars we actually did some work for Kanye West which was crazy and then I Wear Your Shirt came about. And so then I Wear Your Shirt kind of led me into my entrepreneurial journey in 2000, the end of 2008. And I've just been doing weird stuff on the internet ever since. Yeah, so, to, so tell us about I Wear Your Shirt because I briefly <laughs> mentioned that in the intro, um, how you made, you know, 
how that whole venture made lots and lots of money by you essentially wearing t-shirts. So I wear your shirt. Um, what, how did this even, uh, how did this even come about and how did this work? So this came about, like I said, in 2008, um, was kind of when I made this transition from the design agency to I wear your shirt. And it was people that we were doing design work for that were asking me, cause I was kind of the point person at, at our very small three person design company. Um, they were saying, you know, what's going on with YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, like all these social media sites, uh, you know, what, what's happening here? And I wasn't on any of them. I mean, really every day I would just kind of check my email, you know, browse the internet a bit. And that was it. I, I wasn't on social networks in 2008. And I started to look at these places. I was like, wow, this is really cool. There's a lot of people talking on these platforms and brands don't really have a way to get in. You know, they don't have a way to promote themselves or present themselves or, you know, have any kind of interaction with the people that are here. And I just, for some stupid reason, thought, well, what if I was that guy? You know, there's people who do that on TV and print and magazines, et cetera, kind of brand ambassadors, if you will. And I just said, what if I was that? You know, what if I, I just kind of did something like that on social media? And that idea coupled with me looking in my closet every single morning wondering what T-shirt I would wear because it was like the hardest decision of my day working for myself from my couch, you know, not ever having to wear, you know, regular clothes again. And I said, what if I wore T-shirts? Like, What if I put on a company's T-shirt every day? I promoted them through these social media channels. I created content in videos and live shows and all that. And, you know, I would just sell the calendar year every day throughout the year because I figured it would be easy just to put on a T-shirt every day. Uh, little did I know that making videos is hard. Uh, keeping up and building a community is very difficult. And I kind of built myself, you know, I went from a nine to five job to really like a eight to midnight job, <laughs> uh, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs can can relate to. Uh, we kind of build these, what I like to call career dungeons, which is kind of crazy when you think about that we leave the nine to five world and then all of a sudden we're working 14 and 16 hours a day and we can't get out, but that's a whole other topic. But yeah, so I, I started wearing t-shirts. Uh, you know, the calendar was sold at the, this dollar per day pricing that I now call bump sale that started at $1 on the first day, $2 on the second day, three on the third day. And that led anybody in to purchase because I was a nobody putting this idea out into the world, why would anybody trust me to do it? Well, if the price was low enough, why not? You know, why not give me a chance? And so, yeah, that that really kind of launched I Wear Your Shirt. Uh, it was a very slow growth, uh, but over five years, it generated over $1.2 million in revenue. I worked with over 2,000 brands, uh, worked with 11 of the Fortune 500, which is kind of crazy for a guy who had an idea for a business in his closet with T-shirts and just had a lot of fun. You know, it didn't, it didn't end well, and we can get into that if you want to, but um, I actually had this moment of perspective talking to someone the other day that they said, you know, do you think I reassured as a success? And I very publicly said that I think it actually was a failure at the end because it wasn't sustainable. You know, I had to let people go. I ended up $100,000 in debt. And they said, yeah, but if you didn't do I wear your shirt, it wouldn't have led you to buy my future and all your other projects. And I was like, wow, that's a really good point. I, I didn't really see it from that angle. So it is very successful in that respect that it led me to all these other opportunities. For sure, but it must have been tough to to see at the time, right? I mean, oh, geez, 2013. I was 2012 and 2013. I was a wreck. I was overweight. I'd gained like 50 pounds. I couldn't sleep. I was always stressed out. My my relationship with my girlfriend was really not going well, and just everything was affected. And my entire life was. I was really unhappy. Um, and and I had built this around myself. You know, I had made this business, and it was just driving me into the ground. And you know, personally, mentally, financially, for sure. So yeah, it was uh, it was really tough to be in that moment. It was very much a roller coaster on the downward end of it because you know the first couple of years of Irish shirt was way up on top. You know, being on the Today Show and making a, a good amount of money wearing T-shirts. I mean, the third year of Irish shirt made five hundred thousand uh, dollars, but the all the stuff that went along with that of just not knowing really how to run my own business, you know, how to manage cash flow, all of the little things that you just can't learn as an entrepreneur until you build a business and actually experience them really hit me hard kind of all at once. And, you know, I was left in this just really hard downtime in 2013 that was, uh, it was tough to get out of. And it was also very humbling. I think it's looking back, one of the best thing that's ever happened to me during it, one of the worst things I've ever been through in my entire life. Was it, you know, can you attribute any of that uh, to, did you expect this really? 
to be a business? I mean, was this when you first started it? Like, did you foresee this being something that was going to make over a million dollars? That was going to have the response it had? Did it just become something that you hadn't planned on? Uh, like, you know, that that level of success. You know, it's interesting. I, I have always had this, and I don't know where it comes from necessarily, but this idea that whenever I start something, I want to prepare for success. I think a lot of people prepare for like the worst case scenarios, which is good. I think you should do that too. But I like to be prepared to be successful. So from day one that I had the idea, I was already thinking five years ahead. I was already figuring I would add more shirtwares, I would have more sponsors, you know, do all these things. Um, what I couldn't see in that preparedness of success was all of the stuff that went along with it, the time management, the people management. Um, you know, as you add more clients, there's obviously like a lot more things to juggle, a lot more balls in the air. And so there was just, I couldn't necessarily prepare for that because I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, but like if I created I Wear Your Shirt today, knowing what I know now from that experience, it would be completely different. It would be profitable from day one. Um, I believe that I could create a sustainable business for years to come. But now I just have no interest in doing that because I've already done it. And you know, I'm the kind of person who, I like to do something and then I like to move on from it and prove that I can do other things, especially as it comes to like these big crazy ideas. And it seems like too, like and a lot of entrepreneurs like this is you're very, you know, introspective. You have the ability to sort of reflect and and see and 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 you can tell a lot of this through like your writings on Inc. Uh, and most recently, uh, back in October, I believe you wrote a piece called "Why Getting Fired from My First Job Was the Best Thing to Ever Happen to Me." Now I know a lot of us have have had like experiences like that. You know, whether we're you know our first jobs in high school or where you know for one thing or another led us to you know our uh, being excused. We'll put it a nice way from a place, but. But um, can you talk about sort of that experience and, and why it was so uh, impactful for you in a positive way? Yeah, I, I think I'll start this with everybody should read Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, because reading his book about a year ago really kind of reset the way that I looked at negative experiences in my life in that they don't just have to be bad. They can be learning experiences. They can be things where you see, wow, without that experience, it wouldn't have led me to the next thing. Um, and it's also made me very zen about when things go wrong because it just makes me look at like, okay, this going wrong gives me an opportunity to make it right, but also gives me an opportunity to never have this happen again and to be a better person and have a better business and all that going forward. So that being said, yeah, when I got fired from my first job right out of college before I had the three and a half year design career, I was working for an internet coffee company. I think this was like 2000 or something like that. And like one of the had to be one of the first internet coffee companies. And I was a part time designer. I was literally photoshopping cellophane packages. So like clear plastic packages. I would just photoshop the glare off of them all day because we would photoshop. <laughs> it was just terrible. And I remember doing like the newsletter headers for our email newsletter. So it was the first time I'd ever heard of email marketing. I didn't even know what that was, but I would make them. And I would just remember finding like little clip art for Halloween and Christmas and all these things. And then one day I, I came into this job and the my boss said, "Hey, you know, my boss would like to see you in the office." And I'm like, "Oh, that's probably not a good thing." And I knew I hadn't like obviously not done anything wrong. I'm just sell, I'm just literally photoshopping cellophane every day, so you can't mess it up. And I go in, and he sits me down. He's like, "Jason, sorry, We're like you know, the company's going through a little bit of change. We're gonna have to let you go. Uh, thanks for all your work." And like, grab a bag of coffee on your way out. Um, and I I didn't even drink coffee at the time, but I remember leaving that job and driving home and just saying, "Wow." I don't ever want to feel like this again. You know, I don't ever want someone to tell me when I have to be done working or when I can't make money anymore. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to apply that at that moment going forward. But three and a half years later, after I had that other job, I think that subconsciously sat in the back of my brain when I said, it's time to move on. And I don't want to be in a position where I don't have control anymore. Um, and unfortunately, I wear your shirt got to a point where I still had control. But when you're at a client, business, like you you have to have clients to sustain and make money, you are not in control anymore. You're at the beck and call of other people. So I've really, over the years, it's taken me now from 2000 to 2015 to get to a point where I have full control of everything I do. I do not, that is like one of my core values, that and flexibility. I will not relinquish, relinquish control for anything. And I think for any entrepreneurs who are listening to this, anybody who's getting started, you need to set the value, like your core values for what you stand for. But I will tell you that control and flexibility make me feel happier than any amount of money, any amount of success, any amount of notoriety. 
being able to dictate my entire day and do exactly what I want every single day of my life is so empowering and it's such an amazing thing to now be able to do. It also took 15 years, John. It did not happen overnight. Um, and hopefully I can keep this going, you know, this control and flexibility thing. But now it's just every decision I make, I put through that filter. You know, does this give me complete control? If it doesn't, I'm not doing it uh, because I, that's so important to me. And I love that story too. Um, and on the flip side of that, and this is more about social commentary than anything, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to, uh, you know, come up in an age where it's possible to have an IWearYourShirt.com or, or mm. all of these things where, you know, the, the opportunity to create opportunities for ourselves is so great. And, uh, you know, the cost of failure isn't what it was 30 years ago. Um, so that kind of, you know, for some reason that, you know, it, and it allows people to work for themselves and, and have that flexibility. And then that sort of plays into that social commentary that all Gen Xers or, or millennials are just, you know, they're whiners and they just want, they don't want to work for other people and they can't handle management and they just want to work for, and it's just like, I, 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 I hate how great stories like yours sort of play into that narrative, you know, like how so yeah. many great entrepreneurs, um, it's just like the opportunity, the level of opportunity that's available to people uh, to have that flexibility, that level of flexibility is just so great, you know, and, and the benefits, uh, as you said, are so great um, that we probably won't see you going back to work for another company again, <laughs> I, I can imagine, right? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's a great thing, right? That's a great thing. Um, you know, and you have like, so th- all these experiences. So, you know, getting, you know, getting fired from your first job, having these experiences right out, uh, right out of college. Um, has this sort of led to your, you know, in your own words, you know, if you go to jasondoesstuff.com uh, to all the listeners, you know, you kind of describe like an unusual, non-sleazy way of being able to help people make and sell products like hotcakes. Um, and you know, a lot of people say that, but you're your own best case study. Like you've done it. Um, so has, has your experience in the past sort of led you down this path of trying things differently and doing things in unique ways? Um, because surely, you know, there's plenty of entrepreneurs out there or, um, you know, people that are, you know, uh, you know, consult that do things, play things pretty straight, but that's not really your style. Right. So like what sort of, what sort of, inspires that style from you like how is that just how how has that sort of just been formed yeah i mean i think a a good kind of example for this is um coming out of that period of feeling lost in 2013 you know i noticed a lot of entrepreneurs that i was connected with or that i knew were really getting into online courses you know they were just you know they were saying like hey i've learned this skill i want to teach it to you and i was like oh this is interesting you know i definitely have this experience with sponsorships with our shirt where i'd gotten over like 1600 sponsorships in a couple years uh, that i could teach this this is a teachable skill I, i know nothing i didn't go to school for this all i did was just learn this through a lot of different things and there's a lot of processes that i use that work really well and i could teach this to people you don't have to be anybody special to do it and so I started doing this and I built an online course and I learned how to do marketing stuff. And you know, this is where the buy my future thing came out of because I did the the like the lead generation, I did the funnels, I did the webinars, I did all this, and I made pretty good money. I made like fifty thousand dollars in the first couple months selling this course. But at the end of the day, John, I really I laid my head down at sleep and I said, I know I'm giving someone something of value. I know it's solving a problem for them, but I don't feel really great about it. It doesn't feel like it's lighting me up. It doesn't feel like it's making me feel successful, really. Like the money is fine and good and it's nice to have. But to me, success is something that just makes you feel good every single day. And so what I realized was I need to do more big, crazy projects. I need to do more interesting things that are just different from other people. And, you know, looking back on I Reassured and saying, you know, that's just a very different, weird thing to do. So how could I, you know, also have some sustainability in life so that I can afford to do these things, uh, but, but really look at the thing that lights me up is doing things differently, doing things in weird ways, doing things in non-sleazy ways that feel really good to me. And, you know, the course of my different projects, I Reassured, Buy My Last Name especially, Sponsor My Book, even Buy My Future, you know, people have said, you know, you're selling out. And actually, not a lot of people these days, because I've said this specific thing I'm about to say many times, so people I don't think have the the, the ability to um, you know kind of retort this at me, but is that to me, selling out is taking money for doing something you don't enjoy doing. For a lot of people, that's their nine to five jobs. 
So really, like the people who are accusing me of selling out are actually <laughs> the people selling out. I'm taking money for everything that I'm doing, and I'm really enjoying the process. It lights me up to launch a crazy idea like by my last name. It made me so excited to look at the uh, self-publishing you know, just industry in general and know that 96% of first-time authors don't make a dollar on their books. I made $75,000 before I wrote a word of my book through getting sponsorships on the pages of the book. And, and I don't say that with like a tone of, well, maybe I say it with a tone of arrogance, but I don't mean it with a tone of arrogance. I mean it with pride. I mean it with, this is what I set out to do and I accomplish these things knowing that they're what really lights me up. And so I will say on the flip side of that though, if you're not that type of person, don't chase the crazy idea. Don't chase the big idea because it can let you down if you, you know, aren't prepared for it, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but maybe you don't need that. You know, maybe your way of doing something doesn't need the, like, the, the difference and the weirdness and the uniqueness. Maybe it just needs sustainability. You know, maybe it needs uh, you, know, you getting responses from people that you've changed their lives and, and that's what your focus is. But for me, I just know that part of it is I need to be challenging myself because otherwise – I'm just bored. I don't feel happy. I don't feel fulfilled in what I'm doing. So can we dig into some of these uh, specific projects just to hear like what the thought process was behind them? Let's dig. I'll grab my shovel. <laughs> so by my last name. So this one might be your most like risque. Not risque just like just oh, I, yeah. Craziest, you, can say, right? you can say risque or crisp. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm like, totally fine with those words. What, like, so a couple things. One, you know, where do you get to the point where you say, you know what, I'm going to sell my last name. And two, how did that work? So um, yeah, like how, just how did that whole thing work? So I, in 2012, I was four years into wearing t-shirts for a living. And my mom called me, actually sent me a text and she said, can you hop on Skype? And I don't ever Skype with my mom. So I knew something was up. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. Uh, so we hop on Skype and I see my mom and I open it up and sorry, listeners, my mom was crying take this down a notch. And anybody who is very close to their mom knows that like that's one of the worst things a son can feel. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? Like is everything okay? Are you okay? She said I'm fine, but um I just, you know, your father your stepfather and I are getting a divorce. And they'd been together for 13 years and this is my third stepfather and I just I was like I was taken aback obviously. And she explained then like what the situation was and why it was happening and then I was angry. And you know, there was at that moment that I said well, I don't want this stupid last name. Like, I want a divorce in this last name. I'm going to sell my last name and stick it in his face. And it was just a moment of levity, right? It was my way of just bringing some humor to this very unfortunate family situation. And then six months later, I was sitting in a coffee shop uh, talking with the two uh, employees that I still had at the time for Irish Shirt because it was right after we had downsized, trying to come up with ideas, ways to get Irish Shirt noticed or just to make some money to, for us to live off of. And I just said, what if I did sell my last name? Like I'm sitting here with this last name of Sadler that I do not want anymore. It does not mean anything to me. I don't get my identity from it. I haven't even had it my entire life. And we all were just like, okay, what if you did this? Like, what does this look like? And I said, well, I would frame it like you get a year, so it's not permanent. Uh, again, I want control. Uh, I'll change it legally because in Florida, it's just it was. I lived in Florida at the time. It was super easy to change your last name, and. Uh, it would just change across all these social channels that I was already on and, and doing stuff with. You know, I was writing, I was on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, and, and that was it. It would just be an exposure play for a brand where they would, they would replace, you know, Sadler as my last name with whatever their company was. And so from that meeting, I, I think I even there like pulled up some domain service and looked to see if buy my last name was available. And shockingly, John, it was. Uh, no one, no one had been crazy enough to do this yet. And from there, I just I had a, a freelance designer and a developer, and you know cobbled together the website, built a little uh, bidding system just like you would use on eBay, and it was at this website buymylastname.com that um, just very quietly was built. Uh, you know, it was out there; no one could find it because no one, you know, putting up a website is like putting up a billboard in the desert these days. Like no one's going to find it, and so I just quietly built an email list saying that I was up to something. Just I had this new idea. And I would promote that on social. You know, I had another email list that I promoted it to. And it only got to like 600 people. And I bring that up because, number one, my biggest advice to anybody building a business right now is email marketing first, everything else later. Well, actually, have a good product and good customer service first, then email marketing, then social and all that other stuff. Um, but from there, I sent out an email and I said, today is the day I am launching the ability to bid on my last name for the next year. And in 24 hours, the bidding got up to $30,000. 
And it was this moment where I just was, I remember sitting staring at the number that was big on this, this website going, is this real? Is this like, does this actually happen? Because I never thought it would be like that. I thought it would be maybe five to 10 grand we would make. And sure enough, at the end of the auction, it ended at $45,000. I was officially jasonheadsets.com with the .com spelled out, <laughs> D-O-T-C-O-M. A great company, by the way. Uh, their CEO is just really fun to work with. And yeah, and then I, I sold it again uh, for the second year because uh, I knew I was going to write a book at that time. I had decided, and the kind of front front cover of a book is a great place to have a brand name, and my name would be there big, so that's an opportunity to have my last name be branded for that cover of that book forever. Uh, so I did it a second time. It made $50,000 a second time. So pretty much I made $100,000 selling my last name and nothing in my life really changed. I just had a bunch of weird experiences with TSA and hotel people and credit cards. And like signing checks. <laughs> that must have been strange, right? And what? Sorry? Signing checks. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was funny. I remember posting a picture on Instagram of like my new signature with headsets.com as my last name. And one of the ones that everybody loved was just a big J with a like I would just draw a headset. Uh, and I was like, no, oh, this would be a little cumbersome on all of my receipts. So my my signature just became a scribble at that point. Like no longer did I actually write anything out. It's just like whatever. That and th- that's fascinating. And then so next up is the the sponsor my book or buy my book. So you briefly uh, alluded to that one a little earlier. So what brought that one about? Yeah, that uh, kind of during this low point. So I had sold my last name. Uh, I was living with this branded last name, and you know I had a little bit of uh, of cushion for the business, but I still had this debt hanging over my head. And I, I just, I don't know, I just felt like I needed something else to do because it was about six months after I had sold my last name. So that project had kind of worn off for me, at least the novelty of it. And people, you know, weren't talking about it after that point. And I was sitting at lunch with a friend of mine and he was like, man, when are you going to write a book? Like, you've done all this crazy stuff with I Reassured and all those stories that went along with it. You know, this buy my last name thing. You know, you, you got to write this entrepreneurial story that you have. And I remember I'm like shoving a burrito in my face and I'm like, I don't think so. You know, like I just, I don't know. I've never, I don't write at all. I'm not a writer. And he said, you know, you know what it takes to become an author is, is just to write. Like you don't have to have credentials. No one has to like drop a sword on your shoulder and say, thou are now able to be an author. You just write. Anybody can do it. And so then, yeah, I, I drove home from that lunch thinking, huh. What if I did write a book? And, you know, what if I kind of took this sponsorships thing that I've done over the years with everything in my life and applied it to this book? And that was when I I got home, I emailed a couple people that I knew who were self-published authors. Chris Brogan, who we mentioned earlier, um, was one of those. And I just said, you know, should I should I be self-published? Should I try and get a publisher, agent, whatever? And a couple people just wrote back, you know, a book is not it's not gonna make you money, especially as a first-time author. Just just do it as a marketing tool for whatever your business is. And I didn't like that answer. Um, if you can tell, I, I, I don't know. I guess I kind of fight the status quo as much as possible. And I just said, well, how can I make this a profitable venture? How can I make this you know, something that does make me money when other people can't do it? And so, yeah, that's when I kind of cobbled together this idea of putting a sponsorship on every page of the book. Uh, it's a little 140-character message at the bottom of every page. No logos, no stupid QR codes or anything. And it's really interesting. If you go and read the reviews, the book is called Creativity for Sale on Amazon. Over half of the reviews say, I thought I was going to hate the ads on the pages. I actually started to look forward to them. You know, people are finding new companies throughout 200 pages of this book that I wrote. And that was just a really cool thing. And it was, it was really awesome. I mean, it took me five months. Uh, I think I sent about 500 to- or 5,000, excuse me, 5,000 total emails during that five months of responding to people who had questions about getting a sponsorship in the book, me pitching it to other companies that I worked with before. So there's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy invested. Uh, but I landed 204 sponsors by the end of it and was able to have that $75,000 just sitting there waiting for me as my own book advance. You know, I basically wrote my own book advance for this book and it made the writing of the book <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. And I- I'm very proud. You know, The book has never been a bestseller and I don't care about that because you can get your book to be the bestseller in like the kittens category of Amazon very easily. But I don't care about awards or titles. That's not what I'm in business for. I'm in business to change people's lives and to change my own life and to be a better person. And I've done that. You know, I, I would say probably two to three times a week I get an email from someone, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I'd be happy to show these to anybody who wants to have me prove it, that my book is changing people's lives. They're reading my story, and they're thanking me for uh, the candor, for the transparency about my debt, for opening up about all these things that I did wrong and the mistakes that I made and what they can learn from them and how they can not have them happen in their lives. 
And so it's just been a really interesting process. And I know I went on for a long time prattling on about that, but I'm very proud of that whole experience. Uh, I'm very proud of my first book that I ever wrote because I was not a writer or an author. And I think that it's it's just a really great process that was helpful for me in my life too, to write out all of these things that I was holding in that I had gone through and to share with the world. So when people are looking for this book, it's not going to be by Jason Zook, correct? Because you had sold your name for the second time at that point, right? So <laughs> yeah. Who, who is the pen name on that one? The pen name is Jason Surfer App, which, uh, yeah, S-U-R-F-R-A-P-P. It sounds like a piece of Ikea furniture, but it's actually a free app about surfing uh, from these cool guys in West Palm Beach. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's under Jason Surfer App. But, yeah, creativity for sale is an easy way to find it. So it, it, there's a common theme, it sounds like, among a lot of your projects in that you're helping brands – gain exposure in places that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. Was that like a conscious uh, decision on your part or like afterwards you're like, well, it just so happens to be this way. Or is this like a conscious thing for you to find new ways to get people exposure? Yeah, the, that the second part of that is exactly what it was. So as soon as I wear your shirt started to pick up some traction in the first couple months, I quickly realized, hey, I'm not just a billboard for companies. I'm a storyteller. I am. I have the ability to tell a company's story in my own words and and give a little bit of kind of dialogue with it, you know, like my own personal dialogue with it. And that became the the recurring theme of of those projects, specifically sponsor my book, buy my last name, and I wear your shirt. Uh, buy my future isn't really about storytelling, uh, other than just like join my future forever. Um, but yeah, those other projects were really just how can I give companies an interesting angle on what they're already doing and like headsets.com let's just take them for example when when that auction ended the next day i was i went to a, a fox studio was live on fox and friends to announce the last name uh, the story of that went on to the homepage of usa today uh, also on the front page of cnn's website so you can imagine that headsets.com was doing backflips because when are they ever going to get a story on the front page of those websites? Never. But because I was telling their story in a unique way, there was a unique twist to it, that became the kind of conduit for a lot of these companies to get a lot of exposure. And so, that, yeah, that just became a really cool theme through all of my projects that I was a storyteller and I'm helping companies get exposure. Can anyone do this though? I mean, like you, you're a very well-known entrepreneur, right? So there's, there's a, a, a very uh, tangible value, right? To having you sort of, I mean, it might've not always been that way, right? Like in the early days, but do you think this is something that not that, you know, there needs to be a, a spawn mm -hmm. of copycats, but is this something that someone else could have done? Or was this sort of like something very unique to your situation that you sort of capitalized on? Yeah. I, I mean, if anybody is listening to this and they're like, there's no way I'm not like this crazy guy. I don't think like this. Go into like the archives of Twitter and look at my tweets from January 2009. Go into the I Rear Shirt YouTube channel and look at my videos from January 2009. It's horrible. <laughs> it is terribly <laughs> awkward. I had no idea what I was doing. But here's, here's what really works, John, and what anybody can apply. And I 100% wholeheartedly believe this. You just have to be willing to do it. It's consistency. So doing something consistently for more than like a week, you know, and we talked about this a little bit, like the millennial thing and attention spans and that, but you got like, and I love Gary Vee's quote about this. If you really want to build a business, you're not going to give up on it after three months. It's going to take time. So being consistent. Second thing, being authentic, tell a story or whatever you're going to do in a way that you're going to do it. I'm, I sound very different from a lot of people because that's who I am and I embrace that. I'm weird, I'm quirky, I talk the way that I do, I sound the way that I do. That, that is something that I embrace. And I think if other people would just be more consistently authentic, the outcomes of those things are, they're boundless. They really are. There is no limit to anybody creating their own I wear your shirt with a twist on it or, you know, because for me, I wear your shirt was only just a twist on the million dollar homepage. That's all it was. I knew exactly what that website was that was live four years before I launched I Wear Your Shirt. And I looked at it and I just said, how could I do something different? Yeah, it took me four years to come up with a different idea. And no, I wasn't working on it every day, but I just I just thought about it. You know, it sat in my subconscious. And so I think if people can just be consistently authentic who they are, anybody can be successful at any of these things. The problem is, John, is that everybody wants the tips. They want the tricks. They want the hacks. They want the tactics. They want the 37 things. They're going to blah, 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 bullshit. It doesn't work that way. You know who that works for? Nobody. And, and I think that this is just a really interesting 
you know, place in our society that we've gotten to. And I look at it, you know, under this quote that I, I, I put out on Twitter and I hate to quote myself, but I really like this quote and it's really resonated with people is that it's weird to live in a culture so obsessed with becoming successful quickly when no one who is successful got there quickly. I saw and that. That's, yeah, yeah. that's what it takes. That, that, that is it. And that's why I think that, you know, you ask this question and it's a great question. You know, can anybody do this? Yes. hundred percent. Is anybody willing to do it? No, absolutely not. People aren't willing to put in the grit, the effort, the sacrifice, all that stuff. Those are the questions that they should be asking themselves. And if they're not, that's totally cool. You know, I think that's the other part of this. I'm also on the other side of, great, don't do the weird, crazy things. Do whatever lights you up. Do whatever makes you happy. But just remember, as my friend AJ Leon says, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but great guy, is that this is not your practice life. This is We don't get another one. We don't get a second chance at this. So let's live it to our fullest potential. Let's do the things that we really want to be doing. And let's really pour our heart and soul into them and not give up when it gets a little bit difficult. And consistency really is a key, right? It's the guys and, and, and gals who sort of are able to withstand that period of time where no one seemingly gives a crap about what you're doing. It's the people that are able to withstand that that end up being successful. Very few people are uh, willing to do things consistently if they don't see overnight success. And, can, I, uh, can, can I turn this around on you real quick for a second? Sure, like, absolutely. Let's just look at this podcast, for example. Do you remember how many people listened to the first episode? Oh, God. I mean, I was probably thrilled that, <laughs> uh, you know, somewhere 50 maybe 50, saw it. Yeah. 50. 50. We all could get 50 <laughs> listens on a podcast, right? Every single one of us. We totally could. Everybody could do that. But how many episodes have you done now consistently? So this is we're coming up on around thirty now. So yeah. Okay, and it's you do you do a show? Is it once a week? Sorry if I don't know the exact. Uh, it yeah it uh, it ranges uh, once a week, sometimes twice a month, but uh, yeah we do, we try to do it consistently, and now it it, it does you know over a thousand uh, an episode. So which okay so fifty to a thousand. Fanta- I don't know what that math is, but it's fantastic. Hasn't so congratulations. been a year. Yet. Hasn't been a yeah. year. March will be a year. This is this is like the exact example of you're putting in a year of work. You're really only now starting to see the fruits of that labor, right? And I would imagine if Absolutely. we talked again in a year, if you stuck with this, if you were consistent, you ask great questions, you have great guests because I know Jeff Sheldon introduced us. That you're going to only continue to have success with this, right? If you stick with it, if you, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs. Obviously, podcasting is going to change. The algorithms are going to change. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. But if you believe in it and if it makes you happy, it's only going to continue to get better. And that's why I think that something as simple as just a podcast because it's such a – it's an easy thing that anybody can set up these days. But it's not an easy thing to stick with it consistently. It's not an easy thing to be authentic to who you are and how you run a show that I think that that's where people miss out and that's where the, all the opportunity lies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh, another thing that, that kind of branches off of that too. And that's, you know, consistency is a lot of people think that, uh, and you actually wrote a post about this, about hustle porn. Mm. Um, you know, oh, they, they hustle and hus- hustle equates to overnight success to a lot of people. If they just work really hard and really quickly right now, things will happen for me really quickly and right now. Um, and you kind of, you talk about hustle porn in a, in a, in an article you wrote for Inc. Um, and uh, yeah, or crush it, you know, that, that whole mantra. Um, w- w- how do you feel about all that, about hustle porn? Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because I just mentioned Gary Vee and his, you know, in his quote. And, and I think that you, you have to take the, the parts of what you read online, of what you see online, of the people you look up to, and you have to internalize the ones that resonate with you. You know, so the things that resonate with me about Gary are like the grit, the sacrifice, the not giving up. The things that don't resonate with me now, especially right now in my life, are the hustling, are the crushing it, are the putting in 14 to 16 hour days. Because I don't have to do that anymore. I did that for years. So that's the that's the difference for me, is that I did the hustle thing for years, and it led me to a lot of unhappiness, uh, a lot of other things. Now, it also led me to where I am today. So arguably, I couldn't be where I am without having done that, right? I want to say that completely transparently up front. But I do think we live in this like hustle porn time right now where it's just, oh, if you put in enough hours, it's going to work out. Well, put enough hours of what? Again, you know, like being consistent is good, but you have to be authentic. You have to be doing things that that matter. And 
the CEO of Five Hour Energy, and I, I'm full of like references today. Usually I'm not at all, but um, I don't remember his name. I'm so sorry. It's a hard name to say anyway. But he has this thing where he he basically asks his employees when they're coming up with new products because they have this whole like innovation lab now because Five Hour Energy is a billion dollar multi billion dollar company. Um, they're actually doing things for the world. If anybody wants to watch, I'm all over the place. Sorry, John. If anybody wants to watch Billions in Chains. Billions and Change. It's a really great documentary um, about what he's doing. He's trying to change the world in a lot of different ways. And you would think Fiber Energy, this guy, there's no way. He's just schlepping this drink that's at the checkout registers. He's not. He actually is really putting that money to good use. But anyway, he has this, this caveat with his innovation lab where he says, if you bring an idea to me, it has to be one of two things. It has to be useful. And if it's not useful, it has to be entertaining. And it's best if it's useful and entertaining. And so getting back to the hustle porn thing is that if you are hustling, is what you're hustling solving a problem for someone? You know, is it useful? Is it entertaining them in some way? You know, like Casey Neistat. I love Casey Neistat's YouTube channel. It's the only one I watch consistently. Why? Because it's extremely entertaining. That guy lives a life that is just so unique that none of us have, you know, we just, none of us live a life like that. Um, but I love that, right? Like his, there's no, his videos are not useful at all. Like there's no use to them, but they're extremely entertaining, which is also, can be a good thing. So getting back to the hustle porn thing, sorry to go on a long tangent there. I don't even know how that all relates. Other than you have to find what works for you. You have to find the thing that matters at the end of the day that you're feeling right. Not just hustling because you think you have to or because you think it is going to get you somewhere or because you see it work for other people. There's too many variables and too much context with those other people to compare yourself to. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, so I want to I want to sort of like... I like to wrap things up in like a more lighthearted area. So, uh, you know, you're a guy that's, you know, you, you have a lot of unique creative ideas. Where do you express, uh, extract inspiration from? So where do you go, uh, for ideas? Is, is it stuff that you read? Is it people that you listen to? Like, where do you just extract inspiration from every day? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think that <laughs> it's funny cause I read three websites pretty much every day of my life. I read medium, uh, I read TheVerge.com and I read ESPN. None of those are really, I mean, I guess Medium would be the place where I would be getting some inspiration. But I think truly for me, it's surrounding myself with people really on the internet. Like it's not even in, in real life except for my girlfriend who's an extremely talented artist and, and you know her work it just kind of is all over our house. And so I get to see that every day. But is that surrounding myself with people like Paul Jarvis, uh, like Jeff Sheldon from Ugmunk, um, you know, these types of people where – I don't necessarily interact with with them on an everyday basis. Uh, I don't necessarily, you know, consume all of their work or everything that they do. But when I do, it, it is very inspirational. And so I kind of have this like bucket of inspiration that can get filled up very quickly with other people's stuff. And then I can just be heads down creating for quite a long time. And I would say months on end where I don't need inspiration. I don't need anything else. And then I, I'll get to a point where I can't think of anything unique or I can't do anything else. And so I have to go fill those buckets back up. Um, and the other thing for me that's been really interesting is is reading fiction books. You know, I found myself uh, like Ready Player One, um, The Martian. Uh, what was another one that's big? Um, yeah, there's been a couple of fiction books this year that just I've read them and I've been really inspired to just do creative or interesting things. And it has nothing to do with the book. It just gets my wheels turning. So those are a couple of different answers. Uh, sorry if I, again, was all over the place. No, that's great. And I, I feel the same way about fiction and Ready Player One. I will definitely second. Uh, but yeah, there's something about reading fictional stories that kind of gets you thinking in a different way, which is, which is brilliant. Um, are you an iPhone guy or an Android guy? Oh, iPhone all day, my friend. Nice. So I, I, I think there's a lot you can tell about like the way people work and the things they do by the apps that are like on your home screen. So like right when you, <laughs> right when you unlock your phone. So like what are those apps that you're, you're you know, using all the time? So this is interesting. So I, I got rid of social apps on my phone except for Instagram. That's the only social app because I found myself getting addicted and I actually took a social media detox last year. I'm doing another one at the end of this year where I just am not going to be on social for a month because – I think we're all addicted. I'm not going to get another soapbox. Uh, you know, I won't hurt your listeners. <laughs> um, but I would say probably the most open apps on my front screen as I'm looking at it, I have basically a row of, of three um, apps. I'm a pretty pretty clean screen guy. Uh, Instagram, uh, Slack, uh, right now Yahoo Fantasy Football because it's fantasy football time. Um, product Hunt, I like to check Product Hunt you know, every couple days or so just to see if there's anything cool in there. 
uh, my my camera sync app for my Canon uh, camera, which is super sexy. Uh, and then my girlfriend and I see a lot of movies, so I have the Flickster app uh, on there. So kind of an interesting mishmash of apps that are on there, but the rest of them are all like Safari, Google Calendar, Google Maps, Photos, Settings. Uh, but yeah, really Instagram, Slack, um, Product Hunt. Those are the three in fantasy football right now. That gets opened every day. Awesome. So you're a big movie guy. Are you a Star Wars fan? Uh, I am. Uh, so interestingly enough, I didn't grow up a Star Wars fan. I didn't grow up a Star Trek fan, so I don't lean one way or the other. When the new set of Star Wars movies came out, when was that? Like 2000s or something like that? Uh, um, so, the, so the so the remasters or the new the new prequels? The, the remasters, yes. Yeah, that was like 90s. Like, that was when I got into it. My dad okay. took me. That was like late 90s, yeah. Awesome. So we got into them at the same time. So I saw those and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. This is great. Um, I love this. And then the Star Trek movies came out from J.J. Abrams' camp, and I love those. And so now I'm just like, I don't know which one to choose. But I try and watch any of the old stuff, like any old Star Trek or, you know, like the not remastered Star Wars. And I'm like, whoa, I can't, I just, this is, I don't know. I, I caught it at the good time, and now looking back, like I just, I can't appreciate the old stuff. And I'm sorry for the purists. I really apologize. <laughs> um, but I am really pumped for the new Star Wars oh, movie. Man. It is uh, every trailer that comes out. I'm watching that thing immediately. And it just, I don't know, it's so great to live in this time where, you know, technology has finally, I think, now caught up to all the things that we've all imagined and we've all read in books and we've, you know, the people have written about for years. And now they can actually make them happen. You know, it just, it's crazy and really cool to be able to experience this stuff. Looking forward. I think that's why, that's why I like movies so much too, right? Because you can just go, you can escape, you can just see this fantastical thing like the martian was just such a great movie uh, and after reading the book it was just really fun to like put that into like a visual representation it was it was great and it didn't feel long at all that that, that was a great movie um super pumped for star wars oh, and then jj abrams doing his take on that so that's like the best of both worlds right there so that that's gonna be awesome i already have my ticket because i had to get tickets otherwise <laughs> oh nice I, you would have went like three like tickets were already sold out for like the first few days like i cannot risk seeing spoilers for this <laughs> like I, I will yeah so it's it that's gonna be that's gonna break every box office record there oh. so that's gonna be exciting yeah, that'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. Well, uh, Jason, uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, it, it's it's really fascinating to hear about your thought process behind things, but then how they work. And uh, just just really a pleasure to have you on and talk today, man. It was really nice to have you on Louder Than Words. Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to share some of my soapboxes, and you know, I hope your listeners know it's only with love if I'm if I'm tearing down some of these things. But I, I just I want people to experience lives in their fullest ability and to do things that really are congruent to who they are as people and not just do things because they see other people doing it successfully or because society tells us we need to do things one way or the other. You heard it here, guys, so get going. Uh, and to all the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in yet again. Without you guys, there is no podcast. So be sure to share with your friends, like, comment, whatever those good things are, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. So long. Bye.